genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. Okay, so if someone's listening to this and thinking, shit, this is the way that I recruit at the moment based on culture fit, then what should they, they be doing differently? How do they pivot and transition to potentially a more reliable way of recruiting? Hey, welcome to the Truths, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. This is a podcast for business owners who want to build high-performing teams that genuinely care about the business you've built. I'm Al Elliott. I'm Leanne Elliott. And together we co-founded a consultancy called Oblong, which is all about how you can get better people to have fewer surprises and grow faster. So today we are talking about culture fit and how to recruit for culture fit. So Leanne, who is, by the way, our lead consultant, our expert, our scientist, uh, got 14 years in the field, you've got master's degrees, you've got all kinds of qualifications, you're our expert, you're going to be telling us all about how to recruit for culture fit. Is that fair? Yes, it is. <laughs> and I think, yes, no, I am. I'm a business psychologist and I've been working in people and culture for many years, both as a consultant and as a manager myself. Um, recruiting for culture fit, don't. <laughs> next question. <laughs> and thank you for listening. <laughs> See you next time. So first of all, let's just start off with the, the basic question which I had to ask you, which is what is culture fit? I think to answer that, we first need to understand what culture is. And therein lies the biggest problem with recruiting for culture fit. There are more than 50 definitions of what organizational culture is. People can barely agree from as simple as, you know, that that famous quote, culture is what we do around here, right through to thinking about more of the, the constructs, the rituals, the behaviors you expect to see within your culture, the values and beliefs. So unless you really understand the definition of culture you're choosing to adopt within your organization and the organizational culture you have and how that's translated into your operations and processes, then recruiting for culture fit is as useful as saying, I'm only going to recruit Scorpios because I hear they're feisty. <laughs> 
So, so back in back in the day when I was uh, building my second business, I was reading lots and lots of books. Uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, a Remote by the guys from Thirty Seven Signals, um, all these classic books, and they were kind of suggesting, oh, you recruit for culture fit. You uh, Zappos was another one I think where they said that um, they encourage people to bring their friends in to work with them. Now I'm guessing that the science has moved on a little bit, and maybe we've moved on as employers. So. Why would someone not want to recruit for culture fit these days? Culture is undeniably an incredibly important part about organizations and organizational performance. Recruiting of a culture fit, however, is tricky. It's not impossible, but it's tricky. And the reality is, unless you are at that level of physicist, I can say it. And the reality is, unless you're at that level of sophistication within your business, then it's very difficult to reliably assess candidates' knowledge, skills, and abilities, their competencies within the context of your culture. So if you would have listened last week to the podcast or yesterday, how often did these come out? The last episode. (laughs) Um, You would have heard us talk about recruitment and the science of recruitment. And a big part of the science of the recruitment is that the recruitment methods we have, whether it be interviews, psychometrics, work sample tests, is that they offer predictions of future work performance. Predictions of future work performance vary. So we have over 100 years of research. And that research has identified roughly 30 predictors or recruitment methods that are predictive of job performance. And yes, one of them is culture fit. Before we go any further, can you just give us an an idea of for people like me who, who don't really understand what predictors are. So can you give an example of a predictor? Yeah. So job interviews, for example, are a predictor. It's a recruitment method that is predictive of future work performance. So in most simple terms, if a candidate performs well at interview, then that's going to predict a certain percentage of how well they're going to perform on the job. Right. Okay. And so you were saying that culture is potentially a predictor, but it's nowhere near as important as people are putting, uh, people are thinking. Culture fit is a predictor. But as I mentioned then, each predictor has different levels of variance in terms of how predictive it is. So we think about, if, you know, in our ideal world, we'd take a, a candidate through a process and be able to 100% predict with confidence that because they performed well in that process, they're going to 100% perform well on the job. It's not quite that straightforward because people are complicated, they have free will, behaviors change, context, etc. So we can only assign a certain percentage of predictability to each of these methods. In terms of the most predictive and consistently found to be the most predictive or the best predictor of job performance is general mentorability or IQ. And that's predictive of about 42% of future job performance. If we compare that to other methods, such as employment interviews, which is very, very popular, that's about 34%. Then we get into the more nitty gritty, some psychometrics, integrity tests, for example, is about 21%. Certain personality inventories are about 10%. So it drops further and further. Culture fit is on the list. However, it counts for less than 2% of future job performance. So if I've understood this correctly, then if I was to recruit 100 people, based on culture fit alone and nothing else, then only two of them are likely to pan out for me because there's a two. Yeah. Whereas if I predicted 100 people based on, what was the top one you just mentioned? 
Uh, general mental ability or IQ. Okay. So if you always predict on IQ, then you're saying that out of those 154 would work out. 42. Sorry, 42. Yeah, roughly half. Half of the candidates who perform well in general mentability are going to perform well in the job, roughly. It's not quite that straightforward, but is it's an idea of kind of the, the power of that method in terms of predicting future performance of candidates. That is the most reliable. Okay, so if someone's listening to this and thinking, shit, this is the way that I recruit at the moment based on culture fit, then what should they, they be doing differently? How do they pivot and transition to potentially a more reliable way of recruiting? Mm -hmm. I think that the first step, as we talked about last week, is to understand the role that you're recruiting for and the, the knowledge, skills and abilities or competencies that that you need for, you know, it's going to enable somebody to perform well within that role and the function of that role within your business. Once you understand that, then you can look at different methods that are more predictive of future performance and using a mixed methods approach, again, as we chatted about last week. Um, so general mental ability tests, IQ tests are very predictive. Employment interviews are number two. Integrity tests, psychometrics. And using a combination of these methods that are more closely linked to the job rather than the individual and their beliefs, which are less tangible. Focusing your assessment methods on the, the competence competencies you need for that job is going to be much more a reliable method. So let me ask you then, let's assume that, um, well, let's just say that you were talking about Google or Zappos. I won't use Amazon because they've got a negative culture from what, from what it appears. But Zappos has got a very clear culture, it appears. They've even written a book on it. Um, so... Is it okay for they them to recruit on culture fit? So organizations at that that level of their their understanding of their organizational culture are much more sophisticated. In that it's translated to every level of their business. So finding employees who can do a job is absolutely critical. Finding employees that can add to your culture is also important. And if you're at a point where you feel your culture has reached that level of sophistication like Google, then it, it, it's going to translate or transcend from kind of beyond culture fit to more than assessing competencies that are in line with your culture. So should I give you an example? Mm. So in terms of recruitment, let's say one of the core values of your company is to be bold mm -hmm. in the pursuit of new business, new customers. Then... That value, if it's embedded in the culture, then their leaders, the leaders of the business and their teams would have agreed on what types of behaviors constitute being bold. There's a clear and, and, and broad consensus of what these positive behaviors are. So just maybe thinking outside the box, being innovative in terms of expanding customer business. What they've also would have done is added those relevant tasks into the job description. So then, you know, a task of your expectation of job is that you practically network and conduct outreach activities to identify new business opportunities. More so than that, it's going to be translated into training and development operations. So let's say, for example, an organization might have created a business development playbook with best practice examples or suggested communications templates of how to pursue new business boldly. And then, of course, you're going to have performance metrics in place as well that are going to make sure that people are, are kind of working towards that, that target. In that case, and to be bold is authentic. It's a lived-in value of the business and the people in it. It's woven into the fabric of, of that culture. So at that level, recruiting for people 
who are bold is tangible because you understand what that means. It's measurable and therefore it's going to be more predictive job performance. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So let me ask you then, if if you've got an organisation of a reasonable size, let's say 50 people, which is, you know, not a small organisation, then do you think that the culture might vary depending on the function? For example, if you're looking, if you've got a team of creatives, you want them to think outside the box, like you said, be creative. However, the same team of five people who do the accounts, you do not want them to be creative and think outside the box. <laughs> um, so can there be subcultures within an actual, within an overall culture? There absolutely can be, yeah. They're called subcultures or microcultures. You do see it more so in larger businesses. But yeah, even, you know, organisations of 20 could have, have microcultures within the business as well. And that is a symptom of two things. Either one, the broader overarching culture hasn't been well defined and or two, it's not been embedded within the organization, within the managers, within the behaviors, <clears throat> within the processes. So the reason those microcultures appear is going to be because each manager has a different interpretation of how that element of culture translates into operations. Um, and that is going to vary. In terms of positively having subcultures or microcultures, I'm not sure. I understand what you mean about how you don't want your accountants to be overly creative. But at the same time, you want them to be creative within the law. There's going to be tax breaks or loopholes or programs or incentives that, you know, a, a uh, an accountant thinks outside the box or is well-researched in their field are going to understand and bring to the the um, attention of the business owner. Yes, in terms of more creative fields, that carries a little bit less risk and, and is a bit, a bit more playful perhaps. But the behaviors are the same or the value is the same. How those behaviors translate may be subtly different between functions, but ultimately it's all part of the same value so you have a great story which i think we might even have told before on the podcast about the um janitor this prefer i think <laughs> i think this is going to be like a recurring theme as every time <laughs> i bring up this story about the janitor but um will you tell the story again because i think that sure yeah so they there's a, a story that goes around um maybe it's urban legend i don't know um but that yeah jfk was visiting nasa in the 60s when they were working to in the, the race to put a man on the moon and the president turned to the janitor and said what's your role here and the janitor said i'm here to put a man on the moon sir 
sorry, the mouthful of water then. Yep. And I think that's, I get the idea. I get, I get culture now. I do. Um, I used to think culture was, was all about, oh, you define it. You sit there in a room, you define it, and then you go out and you write it on the wall and everyone does it. Um, and, uh, and obviously I can see that. Now, are there any circumstances where it is okay to recruit for Culture Fit? Culture Fit alone, no, it's not. To be an element within your decisions, yes, and particularly as the recruitment process goes on. Um, so, for example, if you've you've defined your job very clearly, you've done a thorough job analysis, you've understood your competencies, you've designed a recruitment process that reliably and and validly measures those, you've assessed candidates against a set criteria, and you've got two candidates who are matched dead on marks, then you might think a bit more about culture fit, about values, about the alignment of the individual with the values of your organization, perhaps. But even then, there's an argument to pick the person who doesn't fit your culture as much as you you might think the other one does. Can you explain a bit more about that? So there's a phenomenon in psychology called groupthink. And it basically means that groups that are very familiar, whether it be in an organization or, or outside of work, it the group is striving for consensus. Um, and often in these environments, they're very friction-free, they're very smooth, but there's less critical thinking, there's less challenge, there's less diversity of thought. And that in itself can can squash things like creativity, innovation, um, or even, you know, just people going the extra mile. Um, consensus, yeah, it would bring you a quiet life as a leader, but it's probably not going to be the best enabler of growth. So in that, we're just thinking about that then. So if I'm recruiting for a, not necessarily a leadership position, this is someone who might be you know, a creative or something, or might be a developer or something like that, then I can totally see why culture is a bad idea to even consider culture unless it's the very last differentiator. I can see that. But if you're talking about what you just said there, leadership, so you've got someone who's coming in as the creative director and everyone else has got this group think and they're all like one one type of person, then from what you're saying, it sounds like it's bit more important to consider this idea of someone who is slightly different to the culture. Have I misunderstood? You know, it's that famous Einstein quote, isn't it? It's, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Mm. If you've always got that same thinking within your business and you're coming across challenges or roadblocks of performance that you can't get over, this whole phenomenon of group think is is not going to help. You need somebody who is going to be different, think about things differently, or inspire other people, allow other people to think differently. Um, yeah, you need that that dynamic environment, particularly in small businesses that are trying to grow. But then, from I'm just thinking about what you said there, and group think doesn't sound necessarily like a culture, just more that it just so happened you have 15 people who all sim think similarly or is it a culture thing i think it can be an element of culture yeah not probably not a desirable one it might be in some areas so for example if you work in i don't know an area of compliance for example you might want everyone on the same page in terms of that level of governance um but yeah even then it's it's more of a case that if you're recruiting for culture fit in a way that is not done in a way that is, is not done in an organization where the culture is in fully understood 
people are with it and it's embedded within the operations and process in the organization the the danger is at best you're going to recruit people like you and then if you recruit people like you you're going to be more susceptible to groupthink. You're not going to have that diversity of thought to solve the problems that are inherent in growing a, bu- growing a business. So give us your sort of 10-second synopsis. We've obviously said to start off by saying, um, should you recruit for culture fit? And you said no. <laughs> but can you give us a little synopsis on why that's a bad idea for anyone who's listening? Sure. So the reality is that culture fit is not a reliable way of predicting future job performance. It counts for less than 2% of future job performance. There are much better predicts out there from general mental ability tests, simple interviews, much more predictive of future job performance than culture fit is. And secondly, the issue with culture fit is that unless it is, and I know I keep going on about this, but culture isn't just values on the wall or how we do things around here. It is ingrained and embedded within every element of your organization and it promotes those positive behaviors that are reflective of that culture. If you are at that level, then recruiting recruiting for culture fit might work for you. Okay, so if you're interested in learning a bit more about the roadmap that Leanne's talked about stage one for, uh, go to oblonghq.com forward slash roadmap. Um, there'll be a link in the uh, in the show notes. If you want Leanne to help you with your recruitment, then just send an email to leanne at oblonghq.com. And if you get anything else you want to talk about with in terms of the podcast, which is feedback, uh, get you think you're being a good guest, great. We'll definitely chat to you about that. Or anything else, just email podcast at oblonghq.com great well i think that's the end of episode four we haven't decided what episode five is yet so it's gonna be a surprise for all of us um, but until then bye 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 now bye <laughs>